Listener Production. Shares. Market. The S&P. The ISX. Stocks. Motley Fool Money. Stock of the Week. G'day, fools. It is Wednesday afternoon, and that must mean time for our very latest Motley Fool Stock of the Week, where we pull back the curtain on one Motley Fool by recommendation just for you here on YouTube and, of course, on the Motley Fool Money podcast feed. One recommendation once. Now, let me go through the boilerplate. I do it every week. You know this, but let's keep going. This is general advice, not personal advice. Bear that in mind. Secondly, it's a buy recommendation right now. Our view could change in the future if circumstances change. Of course, it should if those circumstances do change. So if you're watching this much after the beginning of November, just keep that in mind. And lastly, we're not making short-term share price predictions. I don't know, nor does Ryan, who will introduce you in a second, know where the shares are going to go this day, this week, this month, even this year. We are looking out long-term. That's three to five years and hopefully much longer than that. So don't come and tell me, hey, you guys are great. It's just up in a week or, hey, you guys are terrible. They're down in a week. We have no idea that we make those predictions and no one else does either, by the way. No one else knows these things. So keep that in mind as well. With that out of the way, relatively quickly, let's get on to the good stuff. Here is Ryan Newman. G'day, buddy. How are you? I'm great. Thank you, Scott. And it might be boilerplate, but you do such a good job of it. <laughs> yeah, you just made I kind of speak quickly and I get through it so we can move on with it. Mate, that's the thing, right? It's genuinely important stuff. It's it's kind of like I say it every week and so you kind of it's like you know all those disclaimers when you say it enough, people gloss over it and we actually don't want them to. So it is the same. People expect it, I have to say it. Um, but it's important that they understand how we go about doing what we do, what we think is important, all that kind of stuff, because legally ASIC would like us to do it, I'm sure. Actually, more importantly for us, ethically and morally, we want our viewers and listeners to know this is how we approach investing because we think this is actually how investing is best approached in general. And I think that's really, really important too. I know you do as well, mate, the whole Motley Fool team does. So thank you, mate. It is, it is worth getting out of the way. Now, mate, let's get to the stock of the week. Uh, every week we bring our listeners and viewers a new company or, or we might go over some old ones eventually, but thus far at least. Every episode in this particular Stock of the Week series has been a new company. And this is one that I'm going to say 98% of our audience probably haven't heard of it. If they have, very few would know what it does. That shouldn't mean we don't look at companies like this. In fact, that's often where you find the opportunities. And I've got to say, there's something in me. I'm just old, right? You usually make the jokes. Let me make it first. Uh, when there's companies with strange names or vowels missing or made up words or you know no spaces in their in their names, that that kind of you know sets off the the old fogey in me. But the flip side can also be true though. When something's kind of boringly named, that can be an opportunity that most people overlook because it doesn't really tell you what it does or how it does it or why you should bother. This company is Pinnacle Investment Management. PNI is the ASX code. And, mate, I know a little bit about this one, I have to say, but I'll start by just simply asking you, what does Pinnacle Investment Management do? Yeah, so, look, uh, I guess really really quickly, uh, market cap about $3.1 billion or thereabouts, uh, and the That's latest big. share price was about $17.80. Mm-hmm. Um, look, there's really two major components to this business, and they're both very uh, entwined with one another. So, on the one hand, this company provides boutique funds management businesses uh, basically marketing and distribution and also infrastructure that funds need to operate. Um, so all, all of these things that I just described, they're all essential services for funds. Uh, they enable them to continue operating and also attracting new clients. And in terms of the infrastructure as well that I mentioned them providing, uh, I'm talking about like, for instance, seed fund un- funds under management or FUM, uh, middle office and, um, and fund administration, technology, compliance, legal, all of those sort of things. So these are really specialized things that are really necessary for every fund to operate. 
uh, and that's what Pinnacle provides. The second component of this business is the Pinnacle, the Pinnacle investment management business itself acquires a significant ownership uh, position in those boutiques. Uh, so at last count, it had about 16 or 17 uh, boutiques under its umbrella. And basically, by, by acquiring that portion, it really aligns the interests of Pinnacle and those businesses or, or the, the, those boutiques uh, for, for the long run. It allows Pinnacle to benefit uh, as those businesses grow. So I, I guess it, it provides a real incentive for Pinnacle to, to continue to invest in that business and really provide that, that quality service uh, that, it, that it offers. In terms of what the fund boutiques do, so I guess the fund boutique is its customer as well as its product in that sense. Yeah. So fund boutiques really manage people's money as well as uh, it, those of institutions or you know, whether that be a pension, an endowment, um, uh, governments, etc. Hmm. So what it does is, I mean, there, there's plenty of money out there to be invested, right? And a lot of those institutional funds or even retail funds can only be invested with particular uh, boutiques or the, or those offering particular mandates, for instance. Mm. So, Pinnacle Investment Management, I, I guess, it, it, it over time, it has really developed these relationships and these really strong relationships uh, with um, ratings agencies and also uh, and also customers for, for that matter uh, to to make this really highly desirable product that it offers and and therefore I guess make itself a real um, uh, a real center point within this industry. Mm. I love the way you describe it, Ryan. It's not quite a franchise model, but it's not that far away either in a whole lot of ways. Um, you know, we, uh, Modelfield has a, a funds management business called Lakehouse. We don't talk about it all that much because we try and keep a Chinese wall between the two companies, but we know a little bit about what it takes to start up and run a fund. And if you're an investor, if you if you want to start up Ryan Newman Asset Management, for example, you think, well, how hard can it be? Well, I'll get some people's money. I'll manage it properly. I'll hopefully beat the market, give them some returns, and I'm sweet. Until you get into the weeds, then it's, you know, well, hang on, I need a responsible entity. I need a custodian. I need someone to do the paperwork. Someone's got to update the net asset value. Um, someone's got to do the marketing. And so all of a sudden you realize that like all small businesses, I think, when you think you can do a thing, the everything else that goes with it uh, is actually much more of the of the effort, the time, the distraction that perhaps you want it to be. So if you're a small fund manager, you're going to be like, hang on, if I can get someone to do that stuff for me and I can simply just do the investing, just pick the stocks, or again, as you say, depending on the mandate, pick the income funds or whatever it is you're going to do, um, That that's that's a pretty attractive deal. You've got to, we don't have to, but you can sell some of your funds. So maybe you give away some of that upside. You get a nice chunk of change probably for it, by the way. So it's probably not terrible. Uh, and you pay Pinnacle for the privilege, but... I gotta, I gotta say, mate. If I'm, if I'm a fund manager, I'm like, you know what? You guys could take that. Yeah, I don't, not, I don't care what it costs, but I'll pay, I'll pay the going rate because hey, it's worth it. So that makes sense from a fund manager's perspective. On Pinnacle's end as well, scale is king, right? And it's there's so much. We, we've talked about this a little bit. Maybe you and I need to do a separate video on this. I keep saying that to you every time we chat. But there is that element of kind of building scale and those intermediary kind of companies that normally you'd say, well, okay, the market's supposed to get rid of all that kind of middleman stuff. But in this case, in lots of cases, the middlemen are actually super, super useful. Maybe middle people, we should call them these days, are super useful because they can aggregate that sort of stuff, take away the hassle, frankly, make it cheaper for most people because having to hire people to do all that for you versus paying Pinnacle a small clip of the ticket is very much worthwhile. So I really like the Pinnacle operation, the business model, because it really does sit in a very nice spot. Just give me a quick couple of thoughts too, mate, on asset management as a, as a general idea, um, as an industry. So um, obviously, as you mentioned, lots of money looking for a home. Asset management tends to be a pretty attractive business model because of the way the economics work. Maybe just go through that really quickly, and then we'll get on to the investment case itself. 
Yeah, so asset management, I mean, look, you described a minute ago all, all of those uh, different components that go into running a fund. And I, I guess for, for some funds, that can be a real pain. And that's why Pinnacle Investment Management is so attractive to them. Uh, at the same time, though, if, if people like you and me or, or our super funds, for instance, or the government, if they're all investing money behind funds, you want to make sure that they're, inve- they're, they're investing it properly and that the people they're, yeah. they're investing it with are properly backed, they're properly, properly regulated. So that, that is why those restrictions are in place, right? Right, right. So assets under management, it, it is a huge industry. And I mean, you and I, I, I guess most of the people listening to this video are, are really into equities, but you know, the, the world of finance is so much broader than that. Mm. You've got mm. fixed income, which is essentially bonds. <clears throat> you've got hedge funds, you've got uh, commodities, you've got uh, infrastructure. There is so many, but even within those, there are subcategories, right? So yeah, yeah. Uh, equities, for example, we've got value versus growth. We've got domestic ver- versus foreign. Um, there, there are just so many different iterations. Small, middle, large cap, is, exactly, yeah, yeah. You name it. And that is why uh, th- there is, I, I guess, such diversity in the mm. in the asset under management um, class. And that's where Pinnacle Investment Management can really come in. And I'm going to tell you why I like this business now as well. Go Pinnacle is, is really investing uh, – I'll start again. Pinnacle's reputation and standing in the industry is management's priority. And – uh, over time, it has really developed that and, and I guess, created that highly sought-after product and services that it offers. Mm. So the the funds essentially outsource the marketing and distribution to Pinnacle whilst all, also selling some of that potential uh, in the form of equity to Pinnacle so that it can benefit from the upside too. Mm. Pinnacle doesn't have too many uh, funds or, or boutiques, boutiques under its umbrella though. And, and to us, that's, a, that's actually a really good thing. Because, because Pinnacle prioritizes that reputation above all else, it's really selective with who it chooses to bring in. Um, and that's why it's only got 16 or 17 uh, funds in its name at the minute. And those are the ones that either it deems to be the best in the field or have the greatest potential, what, ones that it, it deems to be really high quality. Um, and it also only typically provides the distribution and marketing to those businesses, uh, to those boutiques that it is actually economically aligned with. And I think its financials really highlight just how well it does its job. So funds under management of its affiliates, so not not Pinnacle Investment manage- Management itself, but the affiliates that it has under its umbrella, uh, had $89.4 billion of funds under management um, as of the 30th of June. <laughs> yeah. It is a lot of dough. And that was up a compounded annual growth rate of 35% over the past five years. So 35% each year on average. And again, that's testament to Pinnacle's uh, marketing and distribution. Now, as I said, Pinnacle itself owns a percentage of each of those funds or boutiques. So Pinnacle's effective funds under management, the the percentage of those overall uh, boutiques that it owns, it had $34.1 billion of funds under management um, as at the same time, 30th of June, 2021. So it's really scaled up and it's really growing uh, strongly. Now, this, this is actually the part that really attracted me to Pinnacle in the first in the first place, and it was it, it was really intriguing to me. I, I was thinking, how does that even work? Uh, someone on the team, one of the members on the team, introduced this business idea to me, and the part that caught me was they said, "Now revenue was up this much, and net profit margin was over two hundred percent." I thought, how, "Wait, how does that how does that work? You know, you don't you don't hear yeah. about that." Yeah. yeah, yeah. But the way it works is so. 
Pinnacle itself records revenue, which is mm. uh, the the income from the services <laughs> that it provides the boutiques. Right. But then further down uh, below the operating line, it also records net profit or loss of associates and joint ventures. And that is basically the distributions from those uh, from those boutiques that it receives uh, from the from uh, each period essentially. Mm. And that can be lumpy depending on their performance. But what I like is that Pinnacle is really diversifying its its base. So it's not only focused on equities. It's also mm. got fixed income in there. It's also got uh, got commodities and infrastructure and emerging markets and developed markets. So. You know, I, I guess when you own this, when you own this stock or, or, or shares in this business, yes, you do own equity, but you're also, I guess, owning underlying hedge funds or commodities or infrastructure. So it does provide that underlying diversity as well. Hmm. Um, in terms of the opportunity as well that I really like, uh, so it's predominantly Australia focused at the minute. There is the opportunity to expand internationally, which it is doing. Um, further asset class diversification, which I described just a moment ago, and also margin expansion. So uh, and part of part of the opportunity with margin expansion will come from, uh, I guess, uh, trying to attract more retail clients. So clients like you or me, as opposed to institutions, mm-hmm. they carry. I mean, there uh, there are many more of them, but they also offer higher higher margins because um, you know it, it, there's not as much money on offer from each individual client. So uh, that's one opportunity there, and and something that they're really executing quite well. Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. I really like asset management, I have to say. I don't, I don't know if I own any asset managers. I guess I own some shares in Salt Patch, which is kind of a quasi-asset manager to some degree, not really in the traditional sense. But what I really like about the about the idea is, firstly, um, the industry is going to keep growing because there is more money going in that is coming out. That's going to be the case for a while. In Australia, specifically because of superannuation, is generally because of net savings. So you've got fund inflows for the industry. Now, individual companies don't necessarily all benefit, but as, a, as an industry, you've got a really nice tailwind from that perspective. Secondly, we know share prices tend to go up over time. Um, that's That's been a long-held reality. Now, again, speaking of ASIC, as we were at the beginning of the program, past performance is no guarantee, but generally speaking, we expect more money to come in, plus the asset values to be higher. Those two things combined, if you're a fund manager and you're taking a set percentage, should be a good thing, right? You've got this natural flow of money into a category. And then you mentioned the economics before. If you've got a, a portfolio manager, an analyst, um, whatever, your costs generally don't scale at the same rate as your fund inflows do. And you mentioned profitability. So the profitability of an individual fund should actually increase faster than those fund inflows. So you've got funds coming in, share prices going up, and costs in theory not rising quite so fast. As an industry, that should be a particularly big money-making scheme. Now, there is risk around around fees. I'm not sure if you talk about the risk section, but I'll leave that for now. Generally speaking, they're a really, really attractive industry. And if you can, as you say, be held as a, a, a preeminent fund manager or group of funds, what I also like about this one is if one of the or two of their funds either fail, don't get fund inflows or, or don't have great performance, the diversification of another 15 or 16, as you mentioned, or 14 or 15, as you mentioned, should be enough to actually help them weather that storm. So it's almost... It's almost the perfect structure in the perfect industry. I, I absolutely get why you like it. That being said, we need to go to the risks. So before I do that, let me give our social a shout out, mate, because that's important. If you are on Twitter, that's the only place, as far as I know, you can get Rhino on the socials. So you want to go to at TMF Numi, N-E-W-M-Y, Ryan Newman is his name, so no surprise there, TMF Numi. You can follow Ryan. You can get me and The Motley Fool on Twitter as well, but also on Insta, so I'll do those together. Twitter and Insta for me, TMF Scott P. 
and The Motley Fool AU on Twitter and Insta. You can, of course, jump onto Facebook, The Motley Fool Australia, or Scott Phillips Money is my work page on Facebook. We are, of course, right around the other types of media. For example, YouTube. If you're listening to this on the podcast, thank you very much. But you can also, well, you see Ryan's happy, smiling, handsome face and my ugly mug on YouTube. Just simply look for The Motley Fool Australia. You can see all the videos we produce at least three a week at the moment. Hopefully going to take that to four or five soon. So heaps of great content we've got bringing you on the YouTube channel. If you're watching this on YouTube, thank you for doing that. You can check out our podcast, Motley Fool Money. Just look for that in your podcast feed. And of course, our brand, brand newy. The Good Oil with Scott Phillips, where I interviewed only yesterday Kylie Merritt, the founder and managing director of Ausbiz TV, the new business streaming service here in Australia. So heaps of great content. By the way, everything I just mentioned, everything I just mentioned is completely free. Zero. Zilch. So check it out. If you're not already, so much good stuff that the guys are producing right across Fooldom, and we bring a lot of it to you here. All right, mate, that adds out of the way. Let's go to the risks of an investment in Pinnacle because, as we like to say, even though we think these companies are likely to be market beaters, there are things with every single one of our recommendations that can go wrong. Everything can go wrong with any business. And so it's our job to make sure that our, in this case, viewers and listeners, but also our members for our paid services get this, understand this, and are prepared for things going wrong. So let's go to the risks, mate, of an investment in Pinnacle Investment Management right now. Yeah, so look, I think one of the things that does mitigate the risks facing this business is that is the diversification that it has, but as you said, mm. uh, always risks. So I think yeah. one of the big risks is, is that, it is acquiring boutiques. So it is forking out money. Uh, if those boutiques fail or if uh, if it doesn't get as much out of it as it would like, then that is a risk. It is burnt shareholder capital. Uh, there's also the potential for downward pressure on management fees. So you described a minute ago the attractiveness of this industry. Um, in- the industry can also be competitive, right? And it is competitive. So if those uh, those funds under uh, under management fees do continue to come down, or uh, for instance the the fees charged for uh, outperformance, for instance on the, on those on those uh, fund mandates, then that could also be uh, detrimental for Pinnacle. It of course has the potential to reduce costs or or increase margins itself, but certainly a risk that we need to look out for. Um, there's also international expansion limitations now. International expansion is always an attractive uh, proposal, I guess, for for any business, Mm -hmm. but there is always risk as well. And in the case of Pinnacle, for for example, Pinnacle has fostered some really important uh, relationships here in Australia, which help to build its business. Now, it doesn't necessarily have those same relationships uh, established overseas. So there is no guarantee that its success overseas will uh, will mirror what has uh, what, what has happened here. So I think those are some of the the key risks that uh, that shareholders need to look out for or, or investors need to look out for. I think too, I mean, the, the shares aren't necessarily cheap. I, I don't know the exact margin, uh, the exact multiple that they're trading on right now, but they're not cheap per se. We are paying up for quality, um, and as you said, Scott, we're not short term investors here. We're long term investors, so we think that that. Uh, that will be mitigated in the long run, but certainly something that we need to look out for. I love it, Rhino. That's really important. Thank you for running through all of those. I just want to uh, double underscore the fees thing. Not that I think it's a massive risk, but just so that our viewers and listeners understand, if you're charging a 1% fee and you cut that to 0.75%, it's only a 25 basis point cut, right? 0.25%. It's not a lot of money, except if you start with one and go to three quarters, you've actually lost a quarter of your revenue 
effectively overnight. Not, not the show overnight, but you know, effectively that's the way it works right now. Again, I'm not saying that's what they're going to charge or what they're going to get cut to, but by way of explanation, a very, very tiny, a fraction of a percentage point can actually impact their revenues in, in tens of percentage points in terms of the impact on the dollars they take in per dollar of funds managed. So that is the that, that is why, and I just want to highlight that, mate, because while we mentioned as a risk, I don't want people to kind of gloss over it, think the numbers are so small it can't possibly matter. We are dealing with small percentages, but a, a meaningful change in a small percentage can actually have a, a big impact on the numbers. I don't think, like you do, I don't think it's going to be a, an existential risk for the business um, or even necessarily an investment risk, but something you need to be aware of. I just want to kind of make that point because it's easy to gloss over if you're not used to thinking through the impact of a small percentage point change on a very, very big amount of money. Mate, um, so you've given us a great run through of the business. We've talked about the investment case and the risks. I really like this company. I've got to say, it's a, a couple of fund managers I quite like. I like Pinnacle. I also like Magellan Asset Management. We should probably do that another day. Um, but for all of the things we've just talked about, and particularly I love the that kind of, it's not a franchise model, they probably hate me saying that, i got to say, but that kind of idea of the way they've built that business model is a really, really clever idea. So with all that said, mate, here's your chance to jump in the elevator, as I like to say every week, go from the first to the 31st floor with me for about 60 seconds or so. Give us the elevator pitch on why our viewers and listeners should consider shares in Pinnacle Investment Management. Yeah, so look, this is a really quality business uh, run by quality management team as well, who we've spoken to and come away really impressed by. Uh, and I think one of the, the most attractive things about this business is that it offers highly sought after services. So uh, company funds, boutiques actually approach it for their services, basically <laughs> saying, buy some of our business, take this responsibility on for us. That's how, silly, uh, how, how highly sought after they are. Um, it offers a diversified income stream and also uh, adds asset class diversification to any investor. Uh, so a really, a really good purchase in my mind for a, a, a very long-term purchase, a, a very long-term position in a portfolio. Beautiful, mate. There you go, Phil's A very thoughtful, very thorough investment case from a very smart bloke, one of the very best in the business. We have plenty at the Motley Fool. I'm super stoked to get to work with these guys every day of every week. Ryan Newman is certainly amongst that group and, uh, yeah. We bring it to you for free, as I said. So hopefully you've enjoyed a deep dive into Pinnacle Asset Management. Yeah, investment manager, I should say. Get that right. Uh, if you are going to consider it again, remember the disclaimers at the top. But we think it's a business that we have as a buy recommendation inside the Motley Fool Services coming to you for free today. Until next time, until Ryan's back with us, it won't be too long. On behalf of me and Ryan and the whole Motley Fool team, full on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under Financial Services Licence 400691. Listener.